Welcome to We Are YA. I'm Anna Borges. My guest today is Renee Atia, the best-selling author of The Wrath and the Dawn duology and The Beautiful, the first book in an all-new series. Welcome to We Are YA, Renee. Thank you so much for having me, Anna. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. I finished The Beautiful not two days ago. I feel like it was like the last on the list that I was able to check off before this marathon of talking to wonderful authors and it was my, I have to admit, it was my first book of yours that I read, and I loved it. Thank you so much. That means the world to me. I really appreciate it. It is set in New Orleans. It has a wonderful love story and vampires <laughs> and fashion and food and pretty much everything that people could label as a guilty pleasure if they wanted to be that person. If they wanted to be that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. Are you reclaiming it? Like, Absolutely. And I, and I thank you firstly so much for all of that complimentary language on the beautiful. I'm so excited about this book. It is really like a compendium of all of the things I'm passionate about. And again, like sort of like a love letter to everyone who um, is a fan of something and feels like they have to explain themselves or apologize for it. I have literally thrown in everything that I love into this book. Vampires, you know, so many different cultures, murder, mystery. Um, and when I say I love murder, I, I like the <laughs> idea of murder, I should say. like, But murder, mystery, fashion, um, food, all of these things that I'm so passionate about. And the fact that I get to throw them into this one story and really make it, um, you know, as writers, we often talk about like the books of our heart. Mm. For me, I've been dreaming about this book for such a long time. It's really become the book of my dreams. And I didn't stop myself. Like if I thought I kept thinking to myself, you know, maybe my editor will tell me to pull back. And she never did because she's right on the same page with me. She's like, oh, no, give me more. And I'm like, this is perfect because then I get to write a story that's exactly the way I wanted to tell it. And um, I guess, again, completely banish away the idea that you have to explain the things you love to anyone. This is what people mean when they say to write for yourself first and foremost, because that's how you wind up with amazing things. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I've never been a vampire person, not for it's just for lack of trying, Mm -hmm. like not for like any sort of whatever reason. So it was my first foray and it was really wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that. Also the food. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, so one of the things I do with all of my books is before I put a dish in anything that I'm writing, I actually make it. And it's, Stop. I call it, no, seriously, I call it research, uh. which is great. All, all my friends and family members, my husband's so excited. <laughs> my dog is excited. She's like, yes. So um, I'm really big into cooking everything because I want to be able to incorporate all aspects of the sensory experience into the descriptions. So I'm so glad. And whenever everybody comes to me and they're like, oh, I love your food descriptions, I'm like, thank you. I mean, I'm not surprised (laughs) that you did that because I was like, how does she just like know all these like small things about this cuisine? Um, It's because it's an obsession for me and it shows in the writing. Oh my gosh, Cat Show warned me uh, about reading The Beautiful because at, when I was reading um, Wicked Fox, I had just gotten my wisdom teeth out, uh-huh. and like she was also f- so wonderful with food descriptions. Oh man, so that's at least so this great. time yeah. around, I could like. I know. loved her book too. I'm I'm half Korean, so I love any sort of retellings about the Kumiho because like yeah. it's so it's such a cool part of our mythology, and I love seeing everybody's interpretation because some people, you know, they see them they they see these characters in in the Kumiho as like sort of like you know, questionable women who make bad decisions, who, you know, like entice men to their death and doom. And I really love what she took with that narrative and sort of switched it a little. Absolutely. I really appreciated it. I oh, I always joke that I read it wrong because it was a revenge fantasy for me. I was uh, like, yes, no, kill absolutely. the bad men. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I was about to say maybe that's my guilty pleasure is like reading revenge <laughs> fantasies. But we are talking about guilty pleasures today because 
on the page, the book, your book falls into multiple categories that have been like unfairly labeled guilty yeah. pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Offhand, I really dislike even the notion, even though I know we always talk about it because I find so often we define guilty pleasures as being things invariably, invariably that women and young women like. Mm-hmm. And I think this sort of like mockery and sort of just like sort of like putting down something that, I mean, I saw it so much with Twilight to the point mm-hmm. where it became almost like bad to say that you enjoy this book. You know, for the record, I really enjoyed this book. You know, we can talk all day long about re- whether or not you like the writing, but it's a re- she's a damn good storyteller. And that's something you can't ignore when all these people are turning the pages quickly and excited to read the next book. That to me is super exciting. And sure, you know, again, we can have questions about what's problematic here. Is that Edward Stalker, yes, he is. But but that doesn't change the fact that I really enjoyed reading this book. And I feel like everybody sort of had to apologize for enjoying this Mm -hmm. book or explain yourself. It became like, you know, the butt of all of these jokes. And I think uh, that extends over into, you know, what I love to read today, even, because I also love to read Regency romances. Mm -hmm. And people call them bodice rippers. And, you know, I just like, like that idea that these are of questionable literary merit because they are the the primary narrative is surrounded by love. It's hugely problematic to me because, like, again, you have so many of these wonderful stories, even going back with, like, Lord of the Rings or something like that, Gladiator, which is one of my (laughs) husband's favorite movies. At the crux of this is a love story. I mean, like, his wife was fridged. That's why he did this. Again, at the crux of this is a love story. (laughs) So I, I really sort of have issue and I take offense to people saying that what I love to read or what young girls love to read is trashy and therefore a guilty pleasure. I mean, uh, I mean, like, like there, there's there's some idea that it's bad for you and that's mm-hmm. why you have to explain yourself and sort of like may, maybe keep it a secret. And because I that's just what think, it is. It's an apology. Yeah, You're like, it don't is. get into it. I know it's a guilty pleasure. Like, Absolutely. don't talk to me. <laughs> Absolutely. And I feel like, again, we as women, we apologize so much for things we don't do. Mm-hmm. Often I find myself apologizing for occupying space in a room or like just existing because that's sort of our default and I think it extends to the things we love and therefore have to be ashamed of being passionate about because Mm -hmm. again I think the key narrative here and it even extends to writers of color women of color is this idea of shaming people into silence and I have a really big problem with that definitely yeah, and just in general, like taking like the gendered um, implications out of the word, I just don't believe it. Like, aren't we at the point where we should just love what we love without having it to be a guilty pleasure? Like, I was doing an icebreaker game at my new job, and they're like, "Okay, everyone say their guilty pleasure," and I was like, "I disagree with this as a concept." <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like we we have so much to worry about. The last thing we should worry about is justifying the things that bring us joy. Absolutely, my guilty pleasure is smashing the patriarchy. There. <laughs> Do you should really just, feel like, guilty about that, though? Not at all. Not at- <laughs> <laughs> I know. But I, I also am guilty of using the guilty pleasure label because yeah. it's an easy way to get people to not disparage things that you love. You kind of like shut down the conversation right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and again, I really want to sort of change that narrative. And I'm hoping as time passes and I sort of see this. I have nieces and a nephew that range in age from 10 to 14. And I really love speaking to especially my nieces mm-hmm. about, you know, what are they apologizing for? How do they see things? You know, there's such an informed group of kids. And I find this when I go and meet kids at school visits or what, whatever it might be at, you know, 
book selling events, at book signings. I'm so enthralled by these children who yeah. come up. These kids, I mean, they're not even, I can't even call them kids anymore. They're so erudite. They're so well informed. They're so up to date on what's going on politically. And it, it really, like, contrary to what everybody thinks, because I think the, the resounding narrative among older folks is that kids today, right? Kids today, so many problems. And their so many, phones, their, their phones and the internet. Twitter, yeah. Instagram, all this kind of stuff. And yes, yes, I do see all of that as, you know, it could be potentially alarming, but I also see a crop of wonderfully informed kids who aren't afraid to seek answers to the mm-hmm. questions they have as opposed to just throwing them out into the universe. And I think that that's great. That's one of the main reasons that I love YA is because I yeah. think its readership is demanding more of its creators than in some ways adult fiction right now. You know, like they want to see diverse characters on the page and mm-hmm. like, you know, the creators themselves and yeah. oh, kids. It's so wonderful. Oh, kids. It's so wonderful. No, Completely agree with you. I have um, a younger sibling and watching watching them grow up, I was like, I both could not grow up the way you're growing up right now because the social media terrifies me, but also like they're so lucky because like, I don't know how long it took me to learn about certain things because Absolutely. I didn't have Tumblr to educate me. <laughs> Not Which that Tumblr again, doesn't good have. or bad. Good it could or bad. Be good yeah. or bad. No, for sure. Like you have to. I know it's it's such a thing. Uh, have you thought about reclaiming guilty pleasures, or do you just want to like get away with it? Like as someone who writes romances and now about vampires and things that normally get that stamp. I think my stance now is to sort of be unapologetic about it and hopefully in being unapologetic and sort of owning it in public, you know, this is what I love to read. I think it's wonderful. I think these stories are uplifting. They transport me and I spend time doing something I enjoy that's harmful to no one. You know, like, like, I, and I think we should all be telling each other, that's totally fine. Whether your thing is dancing in the rain, you know, or, you know, making clay models or whatever it might be, uh, like whatever your hobbies are and the things that you're passionate about, I think we should be able to openly celebrate them. And, and that's one of the things I think I've really begun to appreciate about this whole fandom culture, too, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of fandoms, when I was growing up, they were sort of like, they were definitely more secretive. Mm-hmm. Like if you were somebody into cosplay or if you're really into comics, you didn't openly discuss that for fear of being judged. But I think, you know, when you see what's happened with like the Marvel fandom and you right. see what's happened with uh, games. Game of Thrones, a lot of these sort of more niche things that were not necessarily mainstream, I feel have become mainstream. And I think that that's really great. And so I'm hoping it just opens these doors wider and with more flourish for kids to be like, you know what, this is what I love. And I don't have to explain myself or apologize for it. Doors opening to let in more than like boy approved. Absolutely, <laughs> Game of Thrones, Marvel. Absolutely. I say as someone who loves Game of Thrones. No, and no, no, no. Same, but again, you're absolutely right. It's the 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 market is still really, really heavily dominated by the male gaze. Yeah, and and one of the things that I think is great about having all of this dialogue online because there's definitely mm. a lot of negativity around it too. But the great thing is having these sort of really meaningful dialogues with people to bring it to their attention. Hey, you know this is great, but you realize with like the Marvel universe it's an overwhelmingly white male universe and the message that you're giving to people across the world when you present a slew of heroes who are all white and male like with with one or two possible exceptions you know like like again I think it's a meaningful dialogue and because these things exist and we're able to talk about it we can have that dialogue Mm -hmm. absolutely
Have you encountered readers describing like your work as their guilty pleasure? Absolutely. And I think often the readers that I see doing this the most, because I think my my audience is relatively evenly split between younger readers and readers like me of YA who don't necessarily fall into the teen category anymore. But again, we're young at heart. Yes. Uh, and I often find with women who are in their late 20s, early 30s, into their 40s, there's this sort of like, there can be an unapologetic quality to it, but almost this sort of like, you know, I, yeah, I'm sorry, can you please like, and I'm like, why are we apologizing? Why are we apologizing? Obviously, if I'm writing these kinds of books, I'm reading these kinds of books, and I'm loving these kinds of books. Right, apologizing yet, to you in yeah, particular. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, no, like you. There's no reason. The way I see YA is YA exists because they needed a way to shelve these books. But at mm. the end of the day, you should be able to read whatever you want to read. And you shouldn't have to explain yourself. This is why I also stop people when they're like, is this a girl book or is this a boy book? Um, again, I understand and I know that there's not anything insulting behind that sentiment. Pe- people aren't trying to be rude or, or cause problems. But I think we need to change the narrative at its core. We don't need to be saying this is a girl book or a boy book. You know, what does your girl or boy or even like, again, eliminating the gendered idea completely. Mm-hmm. Like, what does this reader enjoy reading? If this reader enjoys reading books about sorcery and magic and dragons and with the beautiful if they're interested in reading books about you know paranormal creatures and really cool mythology and history and learning about you know the fashion of the 19th century the food of the 19th century if they're if they're interested in seeing a romance that spans the ages and you know spans worlds too like this is the sort of story for them regardless of how they gender themselves or if, if they even choose to gender themselves absolutely that makes me wonder why I think you were giving me a taste of why vampires, you know, spans. I like your choice of words. Yes. <laughs> you were giving, yes, taste, hunger. Uh-huh. Just work it in. Any time to talk about food, delicious. No, not even that. But, you know, um, you had the story in you for a while, right? I did have the story in me for a while. I mean, I, I think, again, the initial seeds of the story came about when I was 12 years old and when I fell in love with Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles. And what I really wanted to do was I wanted to write a story like that that was very transportive and hypnotic and lush. Um, And I wanted to set it in a historical setting because I'm a big fan of research. I'm a big fan of history. And I love this little space of time immediately after the American Civil War with respect to New Orleans. Immediately after the Civil War and before Jim Crow laws really started Mm. to take effect because there was almost this glimmer of what it could have been. uh, New Orleans had an integrated police force for a time the state of Louisiana had a black governor and the racial lines were much more blurred after this and that's sort of a, a situation I do think that's a little bit unique to New Orleans because they had so many mixed race people within the city um, because so many cultures had come into this port city from you know the France from Spain from you know all the slaves that were brought into the US through uh, Louisiana and through New Orleans as a port city and so many interesting cultures and mixtures came up there and and I loved being able to delve into that and really see this world of people who are again unapologetic about their heritage mm. 
because I was somebody when I was growing up as a child of mixed race that really sort of floundered with that. When I lived in Korea, I wasn't Korean enough. When I moved here, I wasn't American enough. And I just desperately wanted to be a blonde girl who was named Catherine who had a Wonder Bread turkey sandwich for lunch instead of the toshirak my mom would pack for me, which is like a Korean bento box, which again, it sounds really cool now. Super not cool in the 90s. <laughs> it was not cool at all. So would be um, very cool today. I, that's what I keep thinking too. I was like, maybe I was born in the wrong generation. <laughs> so being biracial, how much of your story went into Celine's? Because it, it felt like a little different because like, you know, being the time, she didn't even know exactly where her mother was from, just that she had to keep it a secret. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it This has been, the exploration of Celine's character has been one of the most challenging and wonderful things I've ever done in my career as a writer. Uh, it was very scary because when I realized that I was going to write a character that had experienced so much of what I'd experienced growing up, um, even right down to what happened to her at the very beginning, or th- what sort of was the inciting incident for her fleeing France and coming to New Orleans. Did you, did you kill a man? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. But like, I, I, and again, it's it's sad to say, and I'm always nervous when I talk about this, and I shared this uh, this morning too when I was speaking to some booksellers and librarians. Um, Celine is a survivor of a sexual mm-hmm. assault, and unfortunately, so many women, including myself, are also in this situation. And sort of digesting that and really coming to terms with the fact that, you know, like, because you spend so much time de- demonizing yourself afterwards. You know, what did I do? You know, like, what could I have done to avoid this? You know, that, that idea that someone's asking for it, which, again, that just it curdles down my spine when I think about it. But that's that's a reality. It was a reality then. And unfortunately, it's still a reality today that um, because we come from this world where we're demanding that women explain why they should be here, why they're o- occupying the space. And if a mistake is made, it must be your fault, not mm-hmm. someone else's fault. Um, and I really explored that with Celine because she went through all this, t- uh, like through much of the book, sort of saying to herself, you know, I don't feel sorry for what I did. And I think I should. And I think there must be something wrong with me, that there must be some evil in me that's not allowing me to feel the remorse I should feel for having killed somebody. And it's it's sort of even completely removed from what this person tried to do to her. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's because we never pause to think about the fact that this person should never have done this to right. Celine or even tried or felt like it was okay to do this to Celine. And that was a really real thing for me to go through. And in the process of writing her character, sort of come to terms with the fact that the, the darkness and lightness exist in us all. Mm-hmm. And letting one overshadow the other is not ever, I think, something that I want to do. I want to be somebody who sees both sides of myself and embraces both sides of myself. And under the guise of this whole guilty pleasure thing, sort of comes to terms with the things that, you know, like like uh, Bastian says this line in The Beautiful where he says, you know, I'm not the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I'm not the worst thing I've ever done. And obviously I'm not talking about if you are a murderer or rapist <laughs> or something like that. But even, even still, you know, like we are more than the things that we do and mm-hmm. the things that we say. Yeah. Well, you were very successful in, oh, in that. You. I you absolutely so love Celine as a character, and I felt so much of that as oh, well. Oh, thank you. Thank Just you. Especially how, like you said, women are quick to figure out how something is their fault, yes, you know, yes. and like how, how they, they need to feel guilty about it. And it was, it was just wonderful. I was a fan. Well, we're conditioned too. <laughs> I, mean, I think the same thing that conditions us to explain our guilty pleasures demands that we sort of explain, you know, 
why it is that something bad happened, not through the lens of, you know, this was done to me, but what did I do to deserve this? Mm -hmm. Because, again, it's that idea of shaming someone into silence. And I'm over it. And I think that... um, (laughs) I think that writing books and being a part of this community is has been so wonderfully cathartic for me because it's really given me a space to be like, yeah, I'm over it and I'm going to do something about it. I love the vehicle with which you're doing it, like something <laughs> that is like labeled a guilty pleasure. And you're like, OK, you guys don't take romances seriously. You don't take vampire stories seriously. And this is a story about a survivor who has like multitudes inside of her oh my god you're gonna you're gonna make me cry on a podcast oh (laughs) don't do that (laughs) okay i won't do that i guess um you mentioned that teens growing up now didn't have their twilight phase and so they don't have the same preconceived notions about vampire stories that we do so Mm -hmm. what do you hope this like new generation of like vampire lit will be well, I'm really hoping, I mean, I'm, I'm really hoping there are tons of books about paranormal romance because I really enjoy reading it. And I love to see what people do with the lore because there's a lot of, even with, uh, with within the beautiful, there's a lot of sort of established lore that I love to just sort of accept but then tweak a little bit and change it up a little bit and put my own spin mm-hmm. on it. And that's the cool thing about seeing other authors doing something like this because everybody's asking, you know, like, why would you do something that's already been done before? And I was like, yes, but it's not been done by me. And that's the thing with all these other writers. That's the thing that gives anybody's work. I mean, I like to make jokes that my favorite books are often uh, basically some sort of distillation of the Count of Monte Cristo, (laughs) Romeo and Juliet. I mean, these stories are, you know, they're they're timeless, but they've been retold in so many brilliant and beautiful ways. And the thing that distinguishes each of these, you know, so-called retellings or reduxes is that voice, that experience, that author's perspective. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that makes everything that we write and do different and unique. So I always kind of like I bristle a little bit when people are like well that's been done before and I was like yeah no it hasn't because I haven't done it before and I'm writing this book and you know this person hasn't done it before that's why I I just get angry if you love to read a dystopian books if you love to read fantasy books if you love to read contemporary books regardless the thing that gives it its uniqueness is that author's voice right like no Mm -hmm. one can do the same thing twice absolutely absolutely if this industry were based on like 100% 100% unique ideas it would not be an industry absolutely. you know they're like absolutely. whatever whoever says that there are like five types of stories or absolutely whatever. yeah I was thinking um, back to I took this class with Maggie Stiefvater of the Raven Cycle mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. fame and she was pretty much read me for filth not directly but like in her lecture that she was giving in that mm-hmm. she was like don't be precious with your ideas like mm-hmm. talk to people about your ideas and get them excited mm-hmm. because like the reason people don't do it is because they're afraid people will steal their ideas. But mm-hmm. it's not possible because mm-hmm. of what you're saying. You know, you absolutely. Know I mean? You'd be like, I'm writing this story. You know, a romance is about vampires in New Orleans in like, absolutely. 1872, and like someone will be like, Oh, cool! I want to do that too. And it will be completely different. It will be completely different. If you give a room of ten writers the exact same pl- prompt, they're going to come back to you with ten completely different stories. And I understand the sort of protectedness of ideas because, the, and I think it also comes from the idea in the market that if a space is already occupied by a certain kind of book, by a certain genre, then there's no space for you. Mm -hmm. So I get the fear, but I do agree with Maggie that we should feel free to discuss our ideas, especially amongst our peers. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying like, you know, put it online for everybody, but like have meaningful discussions about what you want to do. And I find that when I do have meaningful discussions with my peers and my good friends who are also writers, what it does is it just makes what I wanted to do that much better because their genius gets incorporated into what 
I'm working on. Absolutely. And their excitement, too. Yeah, There's, absolutely. like, nothing more exciting than, like, someone caring about this thing that's only inside of your head. <laughs> and then it be, helps it become more real. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. I did not know that this was going to be a... What do we call four book series? A quartet. Are we a quartet? Call it a quartet. <laughs> a quartet. Amazing. Um, how much are you allowed to talk about that? Um, you know what? I don't actually know. Oh no. We'll, 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 okay. We'll push the envelope a little bit. But I sort of mentioned earlier uh, when we were talking about it that each book is meant to stand on its own. Mm-hmm. So the next book that's coming out, I can't really tell you because it, it would be a little bit spoilery, uh, okay. um, is one character's sort of narrative. And they're going to be the primary characters. There'll be you know, different perspectives running through the book just because that's the case in everything that I write. I, I tend to write in both a limited third person and a third omniscient. So I like making those distinctions and having other perspectives brought in. But this will be primarily, like, the beautiful is Celine's story. Mm-hmm. And the what I was really inspired to do was what Regency romance authors do with their their series. So they'll have like this wide cast of characters. And each book will be this one character's love story. Mm. But then everything will be threaded together. So there's an overarching narrative to it. And in that way, you'll be like, oh, if you come in on book three, you'll be like, you know what? I really want to learn how these two got together or what happened here that led to this. And then you go in and read all the books. But you don't have to necessarily commit to putting in the investment. Uh, But of course, I hope you do because I love all these characters and I really want everyone. And I feel like you will have a better reading experience if you understand where everybody's coming from because the thing that sells me with books is character. Especially the like bigger cast of characters. You know, I I feel like so often, not even so often, but what makes or breaks a book for me is whether or not the supporting cast of characters like is just as enchanting as the protagonist and the love interest. And like, I completely agree. I do want to know what you're reading right now. Um, what am I reading right now? Oh, I am very excited to read Sarah McLean's uh, Brazen and the Beast. Mm. Um, it's in her her new series right now. She's one of my favorite Regency romance authors, and I'm also rereading, which I do. I've done actually every other year since it's come out. Uh, Marie Rutkowski's The Winner's Curse trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, those books I just think are great. Marie is such a, a gem of a human, and these, they're so smartly written and so wonderfully angsty. And so, like, if you if you want to have that, like, the one that just kind of hurts your heart, kind of like like. So I, I I'm down for that right now. So I'm rereading that, and then I am also. Actually, I'm also reading a cookbook. Ooh. It's by Samin Nosrat. It's it's the salt, fat, acid, heat. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So fantastic. I love it so much. My husband's family is Persian, and uh, Samin is also Persian. So I really love her perspective as it weaves its way through, like, I guess the journey that she's come to in realizing what's important in cuisine and in life. Mm. So it's really cool. Ooh, interesting cookbook. Mm-hmm. I've only I only am familiar with the Netflix special. Like I knew that it was. Oh yeah, 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 up, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Like I'd yeah. only seen the visual. Version I haven't of it. seen that. I should see the special. I guess. Like I haven't seen the Netflix special, but like one of my really good friends who's a big foodie was like, "You have to read this cookbook." So I I, I bought it. <laughs> Are other stories popping up in your brain around recipes? Oh, absolutely, always. <laughs> Do you have to put them on the side now? Or are you like full steam ahead on the quartet? Oh, I'm I'm full steam ahead on the quartet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I and I I love to read as I'm writing too. Um, I have definitely friends who are like, I can't read anything as I'm drafting a writing. For me, I almost find it necessary because it's it's like it's just sketching my brain, mm-hmm. and I need to sort of take myself out of what I'm working on, definitely, and and be sort of re-inspired. So I do find that a lot in books. 
absolutely and a cookbook is a really smart way to do that yeah so you have to read a different genre a little bit absolutely oh man so you haven't seen the netflix special but have you streamed anything else lately that you were feeling what am i so we're watching i had i had a silly friend (laughs) that i love and adore tell me that i had to watch younger which has been on for a long time so i started watching that and i'm basically just shouting at the tv periodically like that's not how publishing works oh my god I i keep watching the next episode um I am watching Chernobyl on HBO, mm. and it is fantastic. Um, I really wasn't sold on the idea of reading something like this big like disaster mm. TV show around something where tons of people died in an incredibly gruesome way. But the storytelling here is so fantastic. Absolutely. I do the same thing with Younger that you do with <laughs> yeah. the bold type for journalism. The bold type? Is, that, what, is it on Netflix? or? Oh, my God. It is... Um, Freeform, it's it's on Freeform now. I always want to say ABC Family, yeah. but <laughs> showing my age. Um, but it's a, you know it's 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 is loosely based off of like the Cosmo editor in chief, and it's about like three young women like uh-huh. in the industry, okay. and it absolutely is way more glamorous than anything. But, I mean, like, come on, I mean, like Hillary, I, like I explained to my husband, I was like, Hillary Duff has Louboutins and two Cartier bracelets. No. Like what is she doing? <laughs> no, but she lives Why with her friends' family. These I'm things. like, it makes no sense. <laughs> do, like, Your do, do Balmain jacket, you can't afford it. It's three months rent. What are you doing? <laughs> you think they would learn? Like, show me like some struggling like publishing assistant or writer in like a Bushwick like closet, know, closet, it, yeah, a Bushwick yeah, closet, like five yeah. bedroom closet. <laughs> exactly. I would do it. How about people you follow on Instagram, Twitter that you think our listeners should also? Oh, my gosh. So I uh, invariably follow a lot of restaurants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> start restaurants. And I follow a lot of fashion stuff because I really love fashion. And uh, I think because my main character's name is Celine, I'm really falling in love with, like, everything Celine is putting out mm. right now. I'm a big shoe fan. So I love uh, all of the different, like, shoe designers. And the way they're trying to make, like – like shoe porn almost when you go online with these like very can I say porn is that okay yeah <laughs> like, like with these like really amazing they'll put it on like a stand with all these lights and the whole shoe is glittering and and every single person who's like going through their feet is probably like ooh very pretty and Pink then you shoes. click on shop and you're like never mind never x mind. out of this that's pretty much my relationship <laughs> with shoes like you, by the time I get to shoes I'm like I don't have anything left like I don't yeah have a, I don't have a budget but for anyone listening Renee is wearing a wonderful pair of shoes right now. <laughs> They're very I, fabulous. I do, I do really like shoes. And I had an explanation for this. It's a Korean phrase. The translation is good shoes take you to good places. So I Ooh. firmly believe in that. Have you seen anything particularly notable or funny online lately? Particularly notable or funny. No, my entire feed is just like a redux of Game of Thrones and angry people yelling Still? about Game of Thrones. Yeah, well, most of the people I follow are writers mm. or writer adjacent. So they're all in publishing and all of these people are like or they're huge, like wonderful nerds. And they have like all of these like theories and they're following all these people and they're like throwing up all of these articles, vice articles, you know, vulture, all this stuff. And so like every single feed that I go to, if it's not like Donald Trump is a garbage fire, it's, uh. it's, it's what you think of the last season of Game of Thrones. So, yeah, this is why you have to follow a lot of restaurants and shoes. Exactly. Exactly. Follow the shoes. Yeah. 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 I'm, I am following shoes. It's a problem. Oh, my God. Wait, <laughs> have you. So you cook the dishes. I'll like I'll wrap up soon. But I'm really curious if you've ever thought about like making a cookbook. I have actually. Um, but it would it's it's going to be such 
narrative nonsense because everything <laughs> that I like so I guess we could do something that was a spinoff on curries because I love curries from Ooh. all over the world I could do something like that but then uh, where's the room for the awesome th- other things that I like to cook Korean food doesn't have any curries and yeah. I'm really passionate about Korean food so yeah you would just have to have like a big mix or honestly at the end of the Who's quartet you'll have it, enough of like <laughs> recipes within the book yes. so you could have like the beautiful quartet oh that could be really fun yeah yeah it'll just be a bunch of french dishes and cajun dishes and creole dishes it'll be (laughs) i am now heavily craving french food (laughs) thank you so much for being on today and for this conversation i could talk about guilty pleasures forever and it was a joy thank you so much anna for your time this was a wonderful conversation and i'm so excited about the podcast Renee's latest book is The Beautiful, and if you didn't get the message, it's sexy murder fun and just a total pleasure to read. You can follow Renee on Twitter at R-A-H-D-I-E-H and on Insta at Renee Atia. Next time on We Are YA. Own Voices has become a force for change in the YA community. But who owns Own Voices? I'll sit down with debut author Kat Cho to talk about representation, YA Twitter, and the evolution of own voices. That's next time on We Are YA. If you're enjoying We Are YA, please rate us, post a review, and don't forget to subscribe. We Are YA is presented by Penguin Teen. I'm Anna Boyges. Thanks for listening. <laughs>